Please fasten your seatbelts. The skies are rough and our two pilots have no idea where they're going. So kick back, relax, and enjoy your flight on no blackout dates. No blackout dates. No blackout dates. No blackout dates. Finding those hidden gems that maybe aren't from the movie. Um, but might be you know, the, the hiking trail that not everybody is, is aware of, or the, the winery that... Uh... The winery where Frodo replenished his uh, fuel when he was on his long trek to Mordor, but no one talks about it. That's right, that's right, that's my favorite winery. Yeah, the whole thing was just a big wine tour, the, the entire trek. <laughs> Welcome back to No Blackout Dates. I'm Evan. I'm Tim. We got a great episode for you today, especially for all you Lord of the Rings fans out there. Sarah Hanley is with us. She's the general manager of Tourism New Zealand in charge of the Americas and Europe. She's here to help us celebrate the 20th anniversary of our favorite trilogy, The Lord of the Rings, talk New Zealand tourism, and more broadly, how movies filmed in a destination can totally transform that destination's tourism. Lord of the Rings, 20 years old, absolutely snuck up on us, didn't it, Tim? I know you're not a big Lord of the Rings guy, but can you believe it's been 20 years? I can't. It's funny because I was in high school when it came out, and I remember I haven't watched it. I haven't watched the trilogy since high school. I had a buddy then that was all about it. It's funny, Evan. I didn't know until today that you were such a big fan. Uh, and it's, you know, I, I'm curious, before we get into hot takes, what it is that draws you so much to this film. Oh, man, I don't even know if I'm going to be able to adequately put it into words. It's just it's I think it has everything. Name your favorite fantasy movies or books since Lord of the Rings, whether it's Game of Thrones, uh, the Earthsea Cycle, Harry Potter, whatever. I think all of those can be traced back to Tolkien as inspiration. I, it's, I, I could go on for hours and I won't. So we'll leave it here. Anyone who's seen the movies and loves the movies knows exactly what I'm talking about. Tim, you need to rewatch it. It's been too long. Let's do a little uh, Zoom sesh. Me and you, we'll, we'll, we'll fire up the movies. We'll FaceTime, drink some drinks, and we'll chat. I'll do that thing that people love when, when it's done to them. I'll watch you watch the movie. Okay. Well, uh, you know what? It'll be the first time I've drank White Claw since we filmed our Facebook commercial. So hey, you can drink whatever <laughs> you can drink whatever you want, Tim. You don't have to drink White Claw. You know, I do kind of though. After this interview today, and realizing how into it you are, I do kind of want to rewatch the the films now. I'm inspired. Yeah, yeah. Hey, I fully endorse that. Let's get it going. Uh, and speaking of getting things going, let's get into hot takes. I'll hit you with a few of mine first, Tim. All right, let's go. Number one. Are experiences that you have abroad somewhat tainted by the fact that you're traveling? And by tainted, I guess I mean, is your perception of an experience you have abroad influenced by the fact that you're in another country and viewing it through the lens of having an exciting travel experience? Like hiking in Greenland feels a lot more epic than hiking in new hampshire even if the landscape is kind of similar right i think so you know it, it kind of comes back and i'm not going to use the word epic because i think the word epic is overplayed nowadays i'll use the word paramount i think when you're traveling the experiences you have hold a paramount place in your memory and in how you view them and it's hard to compare that to the doldrums of your day-to-day -day life and the only thing i can think of 
that compares to travel experiences to me as far as the paramountness would be, you know, the teenage uh, love struggle of figuring out how to date and going out at night with your friends and figuring out who you are as a person. Cause you always kind of have a certain nostalgia for, for that part of your life when you're identifying who you want to be. Uh, and it's the same goes for music. Like, you know, like blink 182 has that paramountness to me because it reminds me of that simpler time of my life. And I think travel memories are similar. Just so everyone knows, this is not an advertisement for Paramount Plus, no free ads. But I totally get where you're coming from. I think that if you have a hiking experience that's really memorable in, let's say, Greenland, then you're going to remember that for a lot, a lot more vividly than you will a hiking experience in your backyard if you live in, you know, New Hampshire even though you might've had a great time hiking in New Hampshire because it's travel, because you were in another country, because you're having a new experience. You're almost viewing everything through rose tinted glasses. The way this really hits home for me is in photography. So when I'm taking pictures on a trip and I think, okay, am I taking a picture of this mountain, this beach, whatever it may be, because it's actually photo worthy, because it's really uh, beautiful and eye catching? Or am I doing it because I'm in Spain? And because this is a foreign exotic beach, and my perception is somewhat warped by the fact that I'm in a foreign country. If I didn't know this was Spain, would I think this is just a beach in Massachusetts? Yeah, no, I agree. I do the same thing when I'm traveling. And, I, and then I come home and I look back at my travel photos. And I have photos of all these stupid things like a billboard that I would never have taken a photo of otherwise, but it's because it was a billboard in Macau and I'll probably never be there again. And I'll probably never, you know, show this photo to anybody, but it means something to me because I was there and I, I, it has that. I remember where I was in my head when I took that photo, you know, and that crappy photo yeah. then transports you back there momentarily. Yeah. And that's kind of a nice way to look at it. If it has meaning for you, go ahead, take pictures of whatever you want. But now whenever I raise my iPhone to take a picture of something, I ask myself, could I see this back home? If I didn't know where I was right now, would I think this was just a picture in Massachusetts or somewhere in the United States? And if the answer is yes, I don't take the picture. Anyway, next question. I know you've been out of the game for a while, Tim, but thinking back to when you used to go on dates, bill etiquette, paying etiquette. People have different opinions on this. At what point do you split the bill with your date? First date, second date, third date, fourth date, never. At what point do you stop paying and expect that you will split the check? Definitely not on the first date. I, I don't know. It's, it's, I don't want to say it's backwards to assume that I should pay on the first date. It, 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 it is, I think, inherently. You know, factually, that's a that's a outdated thought. However, I always went into dates assuming that I would pay. Um, and I think it's once you're several dates in uh, or are on a date that the other person may be organized and is taking you on, then, you know, maybe you'll you'll let them get the credit card out and pay for it. I mean, I'll, I would always split the bill if it was uncomfortable on the date and the other person wasn't comfortable with me buying the meal or whatever. Like if it was very clear that this was going to be a one-off night and they, we were never going to see each other again because it didn't go well at dinner or whatever. Uh, but I've always gone into dates assuming, at least first dates, that I'm going to pick up the check. Yeah, I think first dates, guy pays. 
Uh, second date, depending on who's inviting who and what you're doing. I think that guy also 75% of the time probably should pay as well. For every two times the guy pays after this, I think the girl should pay. I think that's my ratio. What I really don't like is when the girl never offers to pay. Like even on the first date? I will not let her pay on the first date, but I want her to offer and for me to reject the offer. I think it's reasonable. I think that's probably common. I, you know, like I'm, my view of this is that, you know, the girl, the type of girls that agree to go on a date with me are generally pretty progressive. I thought you were going to say are, are poor and don't have any money. <laughs> Definitely not. But like the, just, I, I think that the, the type of people that would want to go on a date with me are the type of people that would offer to pay. I guess, for lack of a better term, because they wouldn't expect a man to step in and pay. Right. And, and again, like you said, it has nothing to do with money. It's not about like, oh, I really could use the extra like 14 bucks. So it'd be nice to split it this time. It's about showing, I think, a mutual respect and a partnership. And if the relationship is to be a partnership, it's not a one-sided, I'm paying all the time and the girl expects you to pay all the time. It's not me giving and giving and you taking and taking. It's I am happy to to pay the first few times because that's, I think, what's expected. And I think that's totally reasonable. But I think that not offering to pay, not offering to take out that purse and at least making the gesture, that shows a window almost to who you are as a person. And if you're not going to offer, then it shows, I think, a little bit of selfishness. Yeah, fair enough. Well, my first question for you, Evan pertains to today's interview a little bit would you consider going on a long distance trek of multiple days if it were part of something like a lord of the rings experience i know you're not a big hiker uh so i'm curious if you would put that aside to have the real experience you mean to like visit filming locations in new zealand that kind of thing yeah if you went to new zealand and part of the the experience was to go on you know, one of their, they call them tracks there, one of their mm -hmm. long distance tracks that takes like three or four days of nonstop hiking and camping. Would you do that? No. So your, your love of Lord of the Rings would not supersede your hatred of hiking. No, if it was like a, it depends on how authentic it was, I guess. If it's like somehow parallels the journey he took in the film, if I can like imagine that I'm, you start in the Shire where they filmed the Shire and then you go to where they filmed Bree and then you go through where they filmed Rivendell and the, the, plain, the, the plains of Rohan and uh, you end up in where they filmed Minas Tirith and Mordor. That I would be more into because that directly parallels the journey. Whereas if it was just more arbitrary, like, yeah, you're going to see like some really cool landscape and a few gimmicky filming locations. I, that that doesn't do it for me. Is that what you meant by a uh, Lord of the Rings themed trek? That is what I meant. Yeah, that I, I was just wondering if how far your passion for Lord of the Rings goes. Yeah, not that far. <laughs> okay. <laughs> as far as my passion for pretty much anything goes, but still not that far. My second question for you, and obviously Lord of the Rings is probably one of them, but what movie or show would get you on the road to go check out the filming sites? Well, if I wouldn't go hike for uh, Lord of the Rings, there's not much else that I would go and travel for. I mean, like anyone else, I'm into Game of Thrones, and I thought it was cool when I went to Dubrovnik in Croatia, which was the setting for King's Landing. 
that was kind of cool. I don't really I know there's no movie that I'm that big of a fan of that I would travel to go and visit its locations. I think in general, even if it's not a movie that I'm that much of a fanboy of, it's cool to just be told that this scene of a movie that you that you saw like four years ago was filmed here. That's like kind of a cool thing, realization to have, even if it's not something you're a big fan of. Like I've never been the biggest Harry Potter fan, but being in Oxford and going up the uh, the staircase that leads to the Christchurch dining hall, which was where the stair, which is the staircase for Harry Potter that you see all the time in the movie. Every time I go up that staircase, I would think like, this is so cool. This is, this is in the movie. Like I've seen this on a big screen and now I'm seeing it in, in real life. Like I'm, I am Harry Potter. It's like putting myself in those shoes is the cool part. I think whether or not you're the biggest fan of it, immersing yourself in that illusion. You know, it's, I was trying to think about this and I'm not sure I have one because all the movies that are my favorites are like not based around something that is so iconic that it's like it becomes a tourist attraction. Like no one cares about where Out Cold was filmed, you know, the ski resort in Utah. No one cares about, you know, my other favorite movie probably is Spotlight. And like, oh, am I going to go to the Boston Globe newsroom in Boston? Probably not. But those are the best kind of movies to visit the filming locations, not ones that are international phenomenons that everyone is trying to go and crowd and go see. But like, you know, Al Cold, that that would be cool because you'd probably be one of the only people there specifically to see yeah, the yeah. destination as a movie location. I would go, I would love to go snowboarding there, like just for me, for my own personal love of the movie, you know. Um, I, I will say when we were in Northern Ireland, we went to that uh, driveway with the trees hanging over it from game of thrones. And that was like, I had never seen a minute of game of thrones at that point in time, but it was pretty cool. Uh, there was a bunch of people there to see it, you know, which was kind of lame, but the driveway itself with the trees was pretty cool to see. Have you seen game of thrones? I've seen some of it. Now my wife finally got me to watch a little bit of it. Okay. What do you think? It's not really my thing. Not going to lie. Not for everyone. It's no Lord of the Rings. And speaking of Lord of the Rings, we're going to get into it with Sarah. And we'll see you guys on the other side. Sarah Hanley is the GM of Tourism New Zealand, focusing on the Americas and Europe. She has a front row seat to the transformative impact of the Lord of the Rings films on New Zealand tourism. And she's here to talk about that and much more. Sarah, welcome to No Blackout Dates. Thank you so much, Kiora. A movie has never really influenced the perception of or raised the global awareness of an entire country like Lord of the Rings did for New Zealand. How did the films change the country's tourism landscape, uh, both economically and otherwise? Wow, that's a really big question. I think that you're right. Um, I don't think there has ever been a, a movie that has had so much impact as Lord of the Rings. Uh, and I think that, you know, well before the movies launched, New Zealand was known for its epic landscapes and its people. But the Lord of the Rings trilogy put it right there on the world stage with those amazing backdrops that um, just seem to be, um, you know, too good to be true. And uh, so I think that a lot of people, when they saw the, the movies, wanted to go down and, and check it out and go to many of those locations um, that you can see there. And, um, and many have. In fact, I think uh, the close to 20% of people first became interested in 
in New Zealand after seeing those movies. So I have to ask, um, I know you've seen the, the Lord of the Rings movies. Have you been to New Zealand as a result? I haven't. I haven't. I've yet to uh, to venture to that side of the world. It's It's tough. It's because it's just like, I love traveling. I hate being on planes. And it's, I think it's like the farthest destination that you can go to from, from Boston. So I like the prospect as much as I really want to go there, the prospect of traveling that far has always been just enough of an impediment for me, but I'll get over it and I'll make it over there hopefully as soon as I can. Cause I really do want to go. You should. See, I'm kind of, I'm kind of the opposite. I actually enjoy a long haul flight now and then, which is, which is, I know kind of an anomaly, but they can be very productive and then you're on the other side of the world when you get off it's in the and it's like 14 hour time difference from your home and it's it's it can actually be quite quite interesting i think but uh i'm curious you know obviously the economic benefit of the movies and the tourism is 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 huge but beyond that is uh not just the tourism industry there but is the country as a whole excited about lord of the rings still is it still uh welcome all this attention Absolutely. I mean, I think as uh, New Zealanders, or we call ourselves Kiwis, uh, you know, we're very proud of the fact that um, Lord of the Rings really put New Zealand on the world stage. And uh, all the amazing um, locations that we have in New Zealand, and in fact, so as you know, Hobbiton, probably one of the most uh, popular Lord of the Rings um, experiences to do, go and visit the Shire, go to the Green, Green Dragon, have an ale. Uh, is actually a huge destination for, for Kiwis to visit as well. So we absolutely embrace um, you know, the, the exposure that Lord of the Rings provided for New Zealand as a destination and are proud of that. But what I've always actually kind of wondered, when you go there, what do you do? Like, what is the uh, tourism experience? So you can, you can check out the Hobbit holes, the movie sets. What, what is there to do around the, the village? Absolutely. So you can wander around the village, which is actually um, still the was the movie set. So it was the actual movie set that was used in, in the movies. You can wander around, go into the, the Hobbit holes, go to the Green Dragon, sit and have an ale. Uh, it's a fantastic experience. Would highly recommend it. Uh, and it's one of many sort of, uh, things that you can do in New Zealand to recreate those movie experiences as well. So you said earlier that the movies really put New Zealand on the map and raised their global awareness with international travelers. But I would imagine that a lot of those destinations that people are now coming to New Zealand to see because they were, you know, plastered all over their movie screens uh, used to be hidden gems that were enjoyed by the, the locals, the people that lived there and were relatively obscure to uh, outside travelers and not often visited. Now that's completely opposite. Should some hidden gems stay hidden? Because doesn't it lose something when natural wonders become uh, internationally famous? Well, I think if, if we think about the, um, the locations that uh, you know, the fans are drawn to in New Zealand, they're, they're epic landscapes. Um, and amazing spaces within New Zealand. So uh, I think, uh, you know, if you think about the, the, the Alps and the South Island that were, you know, the backdrop for, you know, huge part of the movie or, or the Shire itself. So, you know, Kiwis are proud to show this off to uh, visitors from all around the world. But, you know, speaking of hidden gems, I'm not sure uh, how, how you like to travel, but I think uh, most of us, you know, like to explore and find hidden gems. And, 
you know, I think people come for the landscapes in New Zealand, but then as they're looking for those hidden gems, they often find those by talking to locals. Um, you know, the people in New Zealand, uh, Kiwis are very friendly and wanting to share, maybe not their favourite surf spot, um, but, you know, where uh, as a as a traveller, you can go and have those really unique experiences alongside what you're seeing from those epic landscapes and things. So, so the the smaller the the real beauty of New Zealand uh, that is kind of still yet to be discovered by travelers isn't the stuff you're seeing on the movie screen, but the kind of smaller, more local spots that you find from talking to people. I think that that seeing those um, epic landscapes for yourself is amazing and makes you feel like you're right there on on the movie set. But you know, once you're there and you can experience. Uh, get a deeper experience um, by finding those hidden gems that maybe aren't from the movie, um, but might be, you know, the, the hiking trail that not everybody is, is aware of, or, um, you know, the, the winery that, uh, you know, that might not be the... The uh, winery where Frodo replenished his uh, fuel <laughs> when he was on his long trek to Mordor, but no one talks about it, you know? That's right. That's right. That's mm-hmm. my favorite winery. <laughs> it's a deleted scene. Frodo stopping off at wineries. Yeah, the whole thing was just a big wine tour, the, the entire trip. <laughs> Speaking of natural wonders being spoiled or not spoiled, are New Zealanders at all resentful of having their native land almost redefined as Middle Earth? Because I always felt like when Destinations become a popular, uh, known for having a, a movie film there, it takes something away from the kind of natural real history of the place and the character of the place like oxford's transformation into hogwarts now everyone views oxford as hogwarts refers to oxford as hogwarts with like all the harry potter tours does it not take something away from like the natural historic grandeur of the destination um i think when we think about filming and we when we think about how new zealand as a as a nation views our natural environment from a filming perspective um, you know, we have very strict regulations about how filming can take place and in the natural environment, including in our national parks. And we have a, what we call a leave-only footprints policy. So most of the sets that you saw, you know, the amazing sets as a part of the movie, were actually taken down and removed after the filming was finished. So there are very few set locations um, for you to visit. Um, Hobbiton, Hobbiton is actually one of the, one of the few. Um, which is an actual set, and it's built built on a farmland um, in, uh, just out of Matamata uh, in New Zealand. But I think that you bring up a really interesting point because I think that you know there you know has been a renewed interest in terms of how we how we travel, um, and I think that a lot of the responsibility needs to be on the visitor as well in terms of how we travel and being respectful for. Um, the environment, people, culture, um, place, uh, and you know a, a lot of the work that we do alongside industry is to remind people of this when they're when they're in New Zealand, making sure that we preserve New Zealand as a welcoming, safe, and that the spectacular experiences that New Zealand is known for is there for for generations to come. So there's no like undercurrent of frustration by New Zealanders from uh, like people who aren't from there coming to view movie locations or landscapes they've seen in the movies and kind of crowd overcrowding some of their favorite natural spots. Cause like, I mean, Sam, you know, from Colorado, 
everyone in Colorado talks about how much they hate Californians moving to Colorado and ruining and overcrowding uh, hiking trails and stuff. So is, it, is there anything similar like that in New Zealand? I don't think there's anything specific to um, Lord of the Rings. I think that, you know, globally we've seen pressure on, on tourism and how tourism impacts destinations. And I think if there was anything that, uh, you know, po really positive that's come out of the, the recent global pandemic, it's been that destinations have taken a step back and maybe reflected on how tourism can show up differently post-COVID. Uh, New Zealand definitely has done this to see, you know, where are the, the pinch points and maybe things that we can address. Where can we, you know, strengthen infrastructure to make sure that when tourism opens again, um, it's a little easier. But I think, I think that one of the things to just um, keep in mind is New Zealand is a niche destination. We get, you know, just under four million visitors a year. Um, and you, when you compare that to other destinations such as New York City, which gets just under 70 million visitors a year, and Thailand, that gets around 40 million visitors a year, um, you know, it's just it's all relative in terms of the, the impact um, of what that looks like. So when people are, when uh, they're filming, is there anything off limits uh, to being included in the film or that the, the crew can't visit or you're, you're trying to prevent from being like a landmark that's appeared in the film is portrayed as something else? Um, of course, there are regulations um, depending on where you're filming. So some of the filming took place in, in national parks. So very, very strict regulations in terms of what you can do and where you can go. And, and you know, as I mentioned before, uh, dismantling structures and making it so that nobody would know that they'd even been there in the first place. Uh, so there was no damage or impact to, to the land or the environment as well. You know, if other countries are looking to get more on the tourism map, do you see pursuing Hollywood blockbusters as being a good way to do that? I mean, obviously, Northern Ireland experienced a huge boom with uh, Game of Thrones and, you know, as, as we, you know, Harry Potter in, in uh, the UK, as we noted before. Uh, where, where do you see Hollywood as being a part of countries growing their tourist economy? Uh, that's, a, that's a really interesting question, actually. I think that it is, uh, it is a part potentially of, you know, how countries or destinations look at um, growing exposure. Uh, but I, I don't think it's sort of the, the, the number one um, strategy that they would use. Uh, New Zealand has a you know, really um, strong film industry. In fact, there's a number of films that are um, produced in New Zealand that uh, you, know, you might not be aware of because, you know, they might not feature the ethnic landscapes and things like that. So um, there's a lot of... Uh, uh, you know, production and um, lot of expertise in New Zealand that um, Hollywood and other uh, movie studios are tapping into. Well, this is interesting because we uh, it reminds me, Tim, of our chat we had with Clara Wetzel, who's a, uh, a filmmaker who traveled to South Sudan to make one of the first documentary films in South Sudan. And it, her work was a key part of kickstarting the South Sudanese uh, film industry which is uh, great on many levels uh, just for the people creatively and also uh, economically. And I don't know if South Sudan is a, is trying to be on the, the, the tourism map just yet, but that conversation made me think of how films and how, you know, going to even like an economically disadvantaged country um, that might be trying to increase its income via tourism, uh, films could be a great way to do that. And while that wasn't New Zealand's objective in having Lord of the Rings film there, that's certainly what ended up happening. So it could be a good playbook for other countries to follow.
A hundred percent. I mean, there's no denying that, um, you know, film tourism and Lord of the Rings has, you know, had a, a significant benefit to tourism in New Zealand. So as we uh, look ahead to what's coming up next for New Zealand and for your now uh, veteran film industry, what about the new Lord of the Rings show coming to Amazon? Uh, and we know that's being filmed largely in the country as well. Any details on that that you can share with us? If I had any details, I wouldn't be able to share them. Um, no, but we're, right. we're really excited. Yes, that the, the new season is, is coming up at the end of uh, next year. I, I believe it's going to be launching. And, uh, you know, once again, we'll feature a number of uh, locations around New Zealand. So we're excited about that. But uh, as for details, I, I don't have any. So, and if you were to um, advise a traveler who's going to visit New Zealand and wants to do, you know, other things, but also kind of a Lord of the Rings tour of New Zealand, how would you take them through uh, like a three to four day itinerary? What would you kind of advise them to do? Uh, well, for starters, you, you might need more than three to four days. Three to four uh, weeks. Uh, okay, three to four weeks. All right. I mean, you were just talking that uh, at the beginning of this, you know, it's a uh, overnight flight to, to get to New Zealand. So you want to make the most of it when you're there. But we have uh, a number of different itineraries. Uh, NewZealand.com is a great place to start. We have a lot of resources on there. But um, we have a three-week itinerary um, where you can see New Zealand and Middle East at its finest. So you can do things like go to the um, Hobbiton movie set. You can um, go to visit the Weta workshop and see everything up close. You can go to Nelson and you can see the makers of the famous uh, ring itself. Uh, you can go down to Queenstown, uh, you can do helicopter tours around the southern Great Lakes and the glaciers. Um, then you can do safaris where you can go a little deeper into places that you might not be able to access on your own to see some more of those amazing locations. So it's definitely an action-packed uh, three weeks. And, and, you know, in that three weeks, you see a little more than just what uh, you saw on, on the movie screen. But, you know, one of the things about New Zealand is it's very compact. So um, to help you sort of understand the size from the from the top of the North Island to the bottom of the South Island is about the same size as California. So in three weeks you can get around and you can see a lot. So in addition to all those amazing amazing movie experiences, you might take a day where you could go um, snowboarding, um, surfing, go to a vineyard, and then maybe check out a dark side experience all in the same day. Uh, so we're going down. Of... We're coming down to do no blackout dates. Three week New Zealand tour. <laughs> when I uh, so now so now that I know the thing about the Frodo visiting the wineries and how small New Zealand actually is, this guy's journey really wasn't that arduous, <laughs> was it? Basically, just walked from top of California to the bottom. Beautiful country, drinking wine the whole time. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I I hate to tell you this, but Mordor is not an actual place. Uh, we don't need to talk about this. Don't, don't need to hear that. <laughs> don't shatter the uh, don't shatter the illusion for me. Because that would take a while to walk through. On uh, Tim's point, though, my last question before we close out is: What will it take for you to arrange us to become extras in the new Amazon series? Oh my goodness! Which, so what strings funny. do we have to pull to be uh, to be orcs or something? Well, um, let let us see what we can do about that, but. Uh, what I will say is, uh, you know, I, I talked about how New Zealand is, you know, very compact from a, and easy to get around, uh, but also New Zealand's a very small place. 
So um, it doesn't take much to maybe run into somebody who's been an extra on the film. In fact, uh, one of the one of the girls in our team was an extra on on one of the movies. Somebody else's niece's horse was in the movie. So you know, that's awesome. This is what you, you know when you're traveling in New Zealand, you want to talk to the locals and uh, you start to uncover these gems. That's uh, being an extra in general has absolutely zero appeal for me. But every time I watch Lord of the Rings, I'm like, I would do anything to be that nameless orc that had no lines that that was on screen for three seconds before he got killed <laughs> i second that i second it especially if that three-week tour follows our impending death on set <laughs> death's not guaranteed all right thank you so much sarah for coming on joining us uh is there anything else that you think people should know about uh you or new zealand uh or campaigns coming up before we close absolutely well what i will say is that uh, you know, during during this time in COVID, we've had a lot of time to reflect and think about where we want to travel to um, uh, once once we can. And we know that New Zealand is on a lot of bucket lists. Um, and so, you know, as soon as the borders open, uh, we know that uh, New Zealand will be a great destination for you all to visit. And I think that, you know, what I would say is we really look forward to welcoming you all back uh, when we're able to. So. And borders open april 22nd so april 30th the government 30th. has signaled okay. that the the border is going to open to fully vaxxed uh, foreign visitors on april 30th that's us tim all right that's us we're coming all right let us see what we can do about the uh the extras <laughs> yeah <laughs> we'll start shopping for a costume and we look forward to the three week uh three week blackout tour of new zealand Three-week blackout tour in New Zealand. Love it. Thanks, Sarah. Thank you so much, Sarah. All right. Thank you. All right. Thanks again to Sarah for joining us. And happy birthday again to Lord of the Rings, 20 years old. Now we're going to get into news of the day. Our first article today is hit the slopes this winter with 30% off your snowboard and ski rental gear. No Blackout Days has the hookup for you guys. Ski season, snowboard season's in full swing right now. Check out the link in the show notes. Follow the link, and you can get 30% off ski snowboard rentals being delivered right to your lodge or hotel room. It's a pretty cool deal, actually, because it's through TravelZoo, and what you do is you book everything in advance, and then it's ready for you when you get there uh, through Ski Butlers. It's a, That's pretty cool. It's much better than waking up at 6 in the morning so that you can go to the ski rental shop before the lifts open. So here's my question. I am not obviously a skier or a snowboarder, but I've understood that it's much more cost effective to just buy your own gear rather than rent. So even with this discount, is it really worth it to rent gear? If you're only going to do this one ski trip this year, it's probably worth it to just rent because ski and snowboard gear is not cheap. If If it's something that you're looking to turn into a hobby that you do, it's worth buying your own stuff. But if you only go once a year or if you're trying it for the first time, you should probably rent. Okay. The one time that I tried skiing, I rented a jacket. No, I rented pants and boots, uh, but I borrowed a board. And I guess I would recommend that because it's expensive. Like renting is expensive. So if you're the kind of person that's only going to go like once or twice a season, then you're probably like me. You were just trying it out, getting your feet in the water. But if you're really going to commit to it, I think you just got to buy your own gear. It's expensive and renting it is not a long-term sustainable strategy. But speaking of sustainability, I think that's a good segue into our next article today. Right, Tim? Yeah. So 
actually something kind of cool happened uh, nowhere near the ski slopes in San Luis Obispo, California. Uh, the local government has partnered with hotels to launch a tree planting initiative. So basically, if you travel to San Luis Obispo, uh, where there's a ton of cool stuff, Central California coast, you've got coast not too far away, you've got lots of outdoor activities, lots of breweries, etc., uh, etc. Et but the hotels that are part of the city's tourism org are donating a portion of the stay to to plant trees in the area, which is pretty cool. And it's a it's a cool thing, mostly from my opinion, because travel gets a bad rap for being unsustainable. You know, you're you're causing a lot of emissions flying and driving all over the place, yada, yada, which is true. However, it's great to see some of that going back to carbon sequestration. So you're kind of in a way offsetting some of the footprint of your travel by staying in one of these hotels in San Luis Obispo. Now, does it cost more to stay in these hotels because they're doing this initiative? Are they kind of subsidizing that with higher booking fees? No, it's uh, it's the same thing. It's actually a lot of towns have uh, what's called like a lodging tax when you book a property. And that that dollar will go to fund marketing efforts for the town or uh, betterment projects. And from what I understand, this is part of that. So it's it, the money is pulled from a tax that you're already paying. Yeah, because you'll see a lot of times, uh, like, donate a dollar and we'll plant a tree in your name in, you know, this country. And I always am astounded by the fact that $1 donation can result in a tree being planted somewhere. Is, is there anything that's lost in translation there? Or is it, are, are you familiar with initiatives like that, that they're like, put a dollar in the box and we'll plant a tree for you? Yeah, there's a lot of them, actually. We've we've covered them at Matador, and there are a few that are specifically tied to travel uh, as offset initiatives. I, I can't speak to whether or not a dollar is going to put a tree in the ground. I think it could if it's a volunteer-led effort. I think that uh, the general gist of the $1 for a tree thing, it, it's a marketing gimmick to to plant trees and to raise funds to do that. And I, I would I wouldn't doubt that there's a close approximation between the dollars raised and the specific trees planted. I, I don't doubt that that's impossible. Cause I was going to say, does $1 equal one tree? I, it could. It just seems like a, such a small amount of money for such something so long lasting right. and, and substantial. Uh, but I mean, it's, it's a marketing thing, you know, I'm paying a dollar 50 for toothpaste. Yeah. You can plant a tree for a dollar. What kind of world are we living in? This is kind of like, um, like buying a star. Have you ever like bought a star or thought about buying a star for somebody? It's like you're paying a very small amount of money for this amorphous real estate that you will never be able to see or visit, but you kind of have the certificate that says that you have it. That's that's what planting a tree is like to me. It's like, oh, it's a dollar and I, I plant a tree somewhere. But like, eh, did you really? It True. But, you know, when you're buying like the naming of a star or something like that, or like buying a symbolic animal or something like I don't think that that is actually doing anything like buying a star. You don't own a star. You don't own a planet. Like I, I don't, I don't really see any validity to that. Whereas when you're donating to an initiative, like if it's a legitimate nonprofit, I'm sure there are scams, but if it's a legitimate nonprofit, they have to submit reports for all the money they make and what it goes to. So they can only get away with so much. How mad would you be if all of the gifts for the birth of your daughter came in the form of buying stars in her name and planting trees in her name. And it was just a bunch of certificates. That would be terrible. But I think that our families know me in particular well enough to know that I would be irate about an unproductive use of money like that. <laughs> so, so I don't think it would happen. It's the thought, it's the thought that counts. Baby pajamas she'll grow out of in five months. A star is there for eternity. 
sort of. There's that to think about. I think that's a good way to close it. All right. Don't buy Tim a star. No. Thanks for listening to No Black Updates. Make sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us, of course, a five-star review. And if for some reason you want to follow what we're up to, I'm Flow underscore on Instagram, and he's TimWinger1. Also, a big shout-out and thanks to our producer, Alex Halkey, executive producer, Katie Hetrick, our email marketing guru, Kelsey Wilking, the Manador social crew, and everyone else on the team who puts up with us on a daily basis. We'll see you guys next week. Thank you.